Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, January 22nd, 2018. Having a tough time theming my episodes as of late. Today isn't exactly a perfect theme. We're it's gonna be all over the map. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular Pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles, and apostolates, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we should be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching, that is being put out for consumption by evangelicals is far from biblical, far from what God's Word says. People are literally mangling God's Word, making it void, teaching for shameful gain the things they ought not to teach, and engaging in rebellion, heresy, apostasy, and things like that. And unfortunately, based upon the fact that these are the most popular ones out there, I've pretty much come to the conclusion that people who call themselves Christians prefer it this way. They don't want to be taught about Jesus. Uh, They want to be taught about the genie in the bottle and how to get it to come out and give them their wishes and their destiny and their dreams and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, weird how that works. So, all right, let's talk about what we're going to do as we begin the week off here. A little bit of a note. Uh, Tomorrow will be our light episode. I'm moving it uh, to tomorrow. I have some pastoral duties that I need to tend to. So tomorrow will be our uh, light episode, and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, normal episodes of Fighting for the Faith, just to kind of give you a heads up of what's coming uh, you know, in the week ahead. And I think we're up to tomorrow, it'll be like the fourth in our series about uh, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery. So just want to give you a heads up on that. But today, today we're going to begin with a vision casting leader update. We're going to head over to Eric Dykstra's church, if you can call it that. Um, and the name of it is The Crossing Church. And um, not yesterday, but uh, last Sunday, he started a, a sermon series called Getting Unstuck. And uh, as part of the intro to the sermon, uh, he took the ludicrous rap song, 
move blank uh, and um, modified it for a sermon intro about getting unstuck. And um, now the the, uh, cleaned up version that began his sermon is titled Move Ditch, D-I-T-C-H, yeah. And we're going to put this under the category of a relevancy fail. If you want to see the video itself, it's now in the Museum of Idolatry. We put it up there earlier this week. And uh, and when I was growing up, no joke, I mean, we had you know some concept of the idea that where two or more are gathered in the name of Christ, that He is there among us, and you know people would usually you know, recognize that God is present when His people come together. Uh, to hear his word, to receive the Lord's Supper, and, you know, have baptism and things like this. And uh, one of the really awful things about the purpose-driven movement, and uh, Dykstra's really been swept up into that whole thing about being an attractional church following uh, the purpose-driven model, is that they always are trying to look for things in the culture that they can use as the hook or the bait to get people to come to church. And oftentimes the things that they bring into church are utterly inappropriate uh, for when God's people gather to hear the Word of God and that Christ is present uh, among us. Uh, you know, And so, I mean, it's just you've lost all this idea that you know there is a presence of God, uh, a special presence when Christ is there. Uh, when his people gather together, that's all gone. And, you know, churches are no longer sacred spaces, uh, but instead uh, just places where all kinds of weird nonsense happens. Uh, from there, let me see where I want to go from there. Uh, from there, we're going to uh, check in. We're going to do a, um, a uh, Bethel Church update, and uh, Bethel Church's um, pastor, uh, one of their pastors, uh, Deadman is his uh, is his name. Yeah, this is the husband of uh, Teresa Deadman, and uh, he his name is Kevin uh, Kevin Deadman. He literally is teaching there at Bethel that uh, that God will give you the ability to walk on water and walk through walls. No joke, no joke. We'll listen to that. Um, then we're going to be hearing from. Uh, Jennifer Ivaz and uh, and her recent uh, Periscope session on how to break free from the Python spirit. Yeah, it's <laughs> we're going to note how she's twisting scripture here. And uh, if there is time, we might go to Glory City Church and listen to Sarah Cheeseman and uh, her recent appearance at Glory City Church. If we don't get to it today, we'll uh, we'll save that for an upcoming episode of Fighting for the Faith. But we're going to round out our number one by listening to Kenneth Copeland uh, from a recent uh, episode of The Believer's Voice of Victory. The name of the episode is titled, Speak the Desired End Result. And the best way I can describe what we're going to be listening to with Kenneth Copeland here is that this is a primer, a catechesis, into the word of faith, word of faith heresy, and it's worth noting how he's twisting scripture and how he's putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. The the best way I could put it is is that some have argued in the past. This is by way of analogy that uh, those who are in the reformed camp, uh, they are Calvinists, and uh, to one degree or another follow some of the teachings of Calvinism. And it's important to note that within the reformed camp, there is not absolute uniformity. So reformed Baptists are different than Presbyterians, uh, but they, they have a lot of overlap. 
but that those with that have a reformed view or a reformed theology some people have argued that the center of their theology is what is known as the sovereignty of god that that's really kind of the 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 heart the beating heart of uh, calvinistic reformed theology within the the heresy known as the word of faith heresy is you can i think we can we're going to try to make the case that uh, that the beating heart of the uh, word of faith heresy is the sovereignty of words. Yeah, I think that might be a right way of putting it, but we'll we'll see if that makes sense uh, with this segment. Then in hour number two, we're going to head down to Venue Church and uh, listen to their vision-casting leader deliver for us a sermon titled the recipe, for, uh, the recipe for Your Best Year Yet, which, by the way, that's the, the, the title itself should warn you this isn't a biblical teaching. Nowhere in Scripture are you told that there are certain principles that you can apply to your life or things that you can believe which will make the upcoming calendar year, regardless of the, of, you know, the, the date, uh, the, your, your best year yet. You have no idea what's coming your way. You just you don't. And, uh, and uh, the idea is we're, we're called to have faith regardless of how the year shakes out. But uh, that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I think I've already made it clear that we do not have a unified theme for today. So uh, those of you who you know, like to try to figure out the theme, it's, it's not unified. It's <laughs> the best way I can put it is, is that the heretics have started 2018 off by giving me a ginormous pile of heresy to work my way through and uh, sorting it all out and trying to work it into uh, into themed episodes of Fighting for the Faith is just a wee bit on the uh, challenging side. So uh, with that, we're going to dive into the program proper. And since we're going to start with a vision casting leader update, let's go ahead and do this. Vision 
sovereignly. My casting vision always seems to get the best of me. Los Lobos Ministry Records and uh, their hit single, Casting Vision. All right, so we're heading over to the Crossing Church in uh, Elk River, Minnesota, something like that. It's been a while since I've been there, but uh, we're going to be listening. This what, the, what you're about to hear, no joke, is the opening portion of the sermon. Yeah, they've done their 40 minutes of standing and praising God and stuff like that, and they've taken the offering, and now Eric Dykstra is about ready to take the stage and to make the transition into the sermon. This is what the people there heard. Now there's a video that goes along with it. They actually made a music video to go with it, but here we go. By the way, the word is ditch. Yeah, we all know what it rhymes with. But uh, yeah, again, just have to ask the question: Why is this making an appearance in a place that calls itself a church? That's that's the town. I've been drifting, going crazy, and this truck's going sideways. I'm flying by, just cruising in my rover, and in the ditches, I'ma flip this truck over. Move, ditch, get out the way, get out the way, ditch, get out the way. Move, ditch, get out. The way. Like I said, you can see this over at the Museum of Idolatry. Uh, yeah, just go to. PirateChristian.com, click on the blogs link and you'll see the link to the uh, Museum of Idolatry. It's there right now. Hey, get out the way, ditch, get out the way. Move, ditch, get out the way. Get out the way, ditch, get out the way. Move, ditch, get out the way. Get out the way, ditch, get out the way. I literally feel brain cells dying while listening to this. Hey, Yeah, I'm afraid I may be suffering from permanent dame bramage after listening to it. So when's the tow truck going to be here? Six hours. Want to watch again? Yeah, this is part of the video. 
And uh, the uh, now the uh, the infographic for the sermon itself, the name of the sermon series is Unstuck, How to Unfreeze Your Life. Yeah, so that warrant them taking Ludacris's crass song and cleaning it up just a smidge. Happy New Year, Crossing Church! Now listen to what comes next. Here's Eric Dykstra. He's now taking the stage after introing the sermon using this music video. Don't you high-five somebody and say, move, ditch! Yeah. <laughs> high-five somebody and... Uh-huh. Move, ditch! How many of you have ever uh, taken your car and plowed it right into a ditch? May I see your hands? Just be honest. Like, like I have, like, three times, um, I'm a great driver. At least three times in my life I have done so. Uh, my favorite of the bunch was I just moved to Minnesota, and I got uh, a... Yeah, he's going to regale everybody with a story about how he put his pickup truck in a culvert. So... There you go. Uh, again, I cannot find a single reason that would justify this. You know, in the seeker-driven attractional church model, it's all about using popular culture as the bait in order to get people to come to church. And what he's managed to do there is so inappropriate and wrong that, you know, we, we note this, you know, from time to time here at Fighting for the Faith, that the whole methodology of the seeker-driven movement is built off of a false premise. They believe that they've got to capitulate to the culture and before they can tell people about Jesus. The Apostle Paul didn't do this. Nope. He went and preached Christ. In fact, um, the, the, tomorrow's episode of Fighting for the Faith, I, I've made an d- executive decision here, and that is we'll save the um, Thou Shalt Not Commit Adultery Part 4 for the following week. But tomorrow... Uh, we're going to uh, play a sermon that I delivered as well as a Sunday school lesson I delivered touching on the topic of evangelism, which, which I think will be a good antidote for the poison that we're seeing from the attractional church, uh, including men like Eric Dykstra. All right, moving along, we have a Bethel update, which requires us to do this. The truth is out there, somewhere. But we know the place where it is not at is Bethel Church in Redding, California. Over and again, when we search for the truth there, it seems to be, well, glaringly obvious that the truth does not reside at Bethel Church, Redding, California. Case in point today, uh, we're heading over there, and we're going to be listening to Kevin Dedman. Uh, this is the uh, husband of Teresa Dedman. Teresa Dedman is the woman who uh, has put together destiny pants um, and prophetic leggings, uh, which uh, the product description says will give you uh, an encounter with God. If you haven't seen this, uh, then head over to fightingforthefaith.com and look for the latest dumpster fire episode of you know that on our YouTube channel. We've posted it right there on the Fighting for the Faith website for you to see, and you will see Teresa Dedman's website and the product claims for destiny pants or prophetic leggings. Uh, her husband Kevin, um, this is the guy who has put together an evangelism book uh, all about treasure hunting, but that's for another episode of Fighting for the Faith. But uh, here he is at Bethel claiming 
that um, you know that really God wants us to walk on water and walk through walls, and it's a matter of kind of like exercising and becoming good at your supernatural abilities in order to do so. No joke. Here's Kevin Dedman. Uh, I feel like the the atmosphere right now is like anything is possible. You know, because our God is great, our God is good, and we're... Yeah, the atmosphere, man. Anything's possible in this atmosphere, except for, like, Orthodox Christianity being preached. Yes, anything is... Sound doctrine actually being, you know, done here. ...possible for those who believe. My son, he brought his youth group up to the Jesus culture a while back, and about 35 of his junior high guys were camped out in my backyard and, and you know how hot it is in Reading. It's <laughs> at one o'clock in the morning it's still warm enough to go swimming and so several of the guys they decide that they're gonna dis- they're gonna take the scriptures literally and they're gonna do greater things than Jesus. They're gonna do Yeah they're they're gonna take the scriptures li- they're gonna do greater things than Jesus. Hmm. What's going to happen next is not going to be something greater than Jesus. It's going to be trying to mimic Jesus, not doing greater things than him, but mimicking him. They're going to start out with what he did before they go into the greater things. And so they line up on the side of the pool and yeah, fully clothed, cell phones in pocket. And they pray and they say, God, we believe. We want more. We want all that you have for us. And they- we believe we want mo- we want all that you have for us, including being able to walk on water. Take a leap out onto the water and they <laughs> splash into the pool. Uh huh. Yeah, I, I've tried that. And it's the same result for me, by the way. But I tried it when I was a kid. Cell phones ruined. I was wearing a bathing suit, and this were the days before cell phones. For three nights. <laughs> so the next week, they're in Dana Point and at the beach, and they're doing a baptism, and there's about 75, 80 junior hires out on, on the beach, and several of them have just gotten baptized, and one of the kids, one of the young men, he says, hey, come on, let's keep going after it. Keep going after it, man. You just got to go. See, it's up to you to walk on. You just got to go after it. See, it's about technique and practice and stuff like that. Try to walk on the water and all 80 kids lined up on the beach and, and they started walking yeah, yeah, out towards the ocean. And one of the boys, one of the young men who had failed three times before. He- What's his name, by the way? Uh, do you have video evidence of this? Yeah, I'm just asking because over and again we've noted that in the uh, charismatic movement and those who are associated with Bethel and the NAR, uh, they they have a proclivity for being able to tell tall tales, but never to be able to substantiate those tall tales. They'll say, oh man, we were at this this gathering this weekend or this conference or whatever, and there, there were a thousand healings, a thousand of them. And, of course, you just have to ask the question, really? You have a 1,000 confirmed healings. you got the doctor's reports and everything verifying all 1,000 of these healings. 
Well, no, 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 but the, the atmosphere was thick and stuff, and, and people were saying that they were healed. What were they healed from? Well, one leg was shorter than the other, so we lengthened those legs. Oh, yeah, that's quite the healing there. And uh, somebody said that they were experiencing internal pain, and after we prayed for them, the pain went away. Yeah, okay, um, you can't confirm or deny that. We're going to need some doctor's notes. We're going to need some follow-up visits to the doctors, and we want to know the name of the person who their doctor was, and we want the doctor to sign off and say, yes, it's absolutely true. This person was suffering from stage four terminal cancer. We and here's their their doc you know, here's our results when they went into the doctors last time, and here's the results today. No, no, they never do that. And so so here we got him claiming that one of the fellows who had been three days in a row tried to walk on the water, he's at Dana Point, and they're all trying it again. They're gonna try to walk on the water, and sure enough, he was able to pull it off. We don't know his name. There is no evidence to support the claim. Just Kevin Dedman telling the story. Towards the ocean, and one of the boys, one of the young men who had failed three times before, he takes one step, he takes two, three, four, five steps on the water. Yeah, uh, prove it, please. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's not a demonic laugh at all, is it? (laughs) And everybody on the beach is doing what you're doing right now. They're just going crazy nuts. So the next week, my son's in in the uh, in his office preparing for the Wednesday night youth meeting, and he hears this thump, thump. It's like, well, that's crazy. Nobody else is supposed to even be here. It's like, okay, well, I'll just keep studying here. And ten minutes later, he hears thump, thump, and he goes out of his office. And he looks down the hallway to the to an empty part of the building down the hall, and he sees two of his young men, his his junior hires, and they've got their Bibles open to where Jesus is walking through the wall, and they're reading the scripture. Yeah, that would be post-resurrection Jesus. Where in scripture are we told that because Jesus, after the resurrection, was able to appear in a room with locked doors, that we would somehow be able to do such a thing? And they're just building up their faith, and when they get enough faith, they're yeah, they're building up their faith. And then when they build it up, they they run headlong into the wall and smash right into it. Clearly their faith hasn't built been built up enough. So it's all about you having enough faith to build it up so that you can uh, walk through a wall. <laughs> yeah, you you keep trying to you keep smashing your head into a wall like that and you will get dame bramage. I'm just saying. Oh. That's not demonic at all. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I want more. (laughs) Yeah, you know, those Bethelites, they're known for walking on water and, you know, just walking through walls and stuff. I mean, all of them are doing that. And by the way, uh, that this uh, particular message uh, delivered by Kevin Dedman, that was delivered nine years ago, nine years ago. And still, there is no documented evidence of any of the Bethelites walking on water or <clears throat> going through walls and stuff. I mean, the one thing I can tell you is not happening there in that message. People are There's no open Bible. People are not actually being taught what the scriptures say. 
They have learned nothing about what Jesus actually said or did, and they're not being called to repent of their sins, to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Their heads are literally being filled with complete and utter nonsense. Yeah, that's exactly what's going on there at Bethel. What a mess. All right, so we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to check in with Jennifer Evaz and Ken Copeland. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No sneaky squid spirit formed against us will prosper. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> presents Church Day Select. And now, Max Holiday's Birdcage here proudly presents Sessions with Mildred. Now, Mildred. I have some very important information to show you in this next video. It's going to give you the tools necessary to know if you're hearing directly from God. But anyways, Dr. Barbie, we are going to talk today about symbols. Yes, I like Because symbols. oftentimes God speaks in symbols. So outside of symbols, what are some of the ways that God speaks to his people? Well, major ways through his word. But his Holy Spirit speaks to us and communicates to it through a symbolic language, through even signposts on the highways, through music, through the dance, through nature. The other day I was at your home and a dove kept flying by the window. And to me it was the Holy Spirit bringing messages through the dove appearing, which represents the Holy Spirit. So as you can see, Mildred, God talks to us in many, many, many ways in everyday life, which is why... I got you this. A Cracker Jack prize? Yes. I mean, no. Do you have any idea how many box tops I had to send in for this thing? Um, no. It was a lot. It doesn't matter. Anyway, what you see before you is, in fact, your very own Holy Spirit decoder ring. What does it do? What doesn't it do? When I turn it on, it has the ability to warn you when the Holy Spirit is trying to give you an important message. Like what? <laughs> I'll show you. We know that the Holy Spirit can talk to us in all kinds of ways. He could even be trying to send me a message through this radio right now. Hold on, let me change the station.
<laughs> Let me help you turn on the ring. I have a great idea. Why don't you take it out for a test drive? Aren't you gonna come with me? <laughs> you know I can't leave. Being under house arrest is so much fun. If I were to leave my house for more than 20 seconds, then the cops would show up and tase me again. And who wants that? Now here's how the ring works. When it beeps like this, that means that there's a sign that you need to see in the area around you. Um, Mr. Sunshine, when the ring goes off, how am I going to know what the message is? Trust me, you'll know. It'll be so obvious that you won't miss it. And on top of that, the ring will make this sound when you've guessed it correctly. It couldn't be simpler. You are now free to leave. I'm really sorry to have to bother you at your house. They told me that these sessions are a part of the pastor's vision and that if I don't go, it will be a sin against God. You think that somebody under house arrest would be free from any and all ministerial obligations, but no! I guess that would make too much sense. I'm sorry that I caused you so much pain. It's all your... I mean, not your fault. <laughs> my, my, look at the sun. It's time for you to go. Have fun with the decoder ring! This is gonna go off. I see a McDonald's. I see a sign twirler dressed up as a hot dog. And I see the town park. You want me to go to the park? Okay. There's a dog eating grass. His owner is picking up the poop, and there's a bird flying towards the road. Is the bird a message? The little bird just got hit by the truck. I think I get the message. Uh, all I see now is a couple having a picnic by the pond. You are such a jerk! I think they just broke up. Um, there's a tetherball court. But there's no tetherball or rope, it's just a pole. I don't see any kind of message here. I think you're broken. I'm gonna take you off my finger now. Oh no, it's stuck. I'm gonna have to go get some soap from the bathroom. I can't let you do that, Mildred. Oh dear, it's become self-aware. Mildred, you and I are bonded as one. I am an instrument here to reveal his secrets to you. I will deliver his messages to you, for it is his will that you should know them. We are going to be together forever.
Oi, Captain, we got ourselves a heretic. (laughs) (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that beating your head against a wall will not build up your faith so that you can eventually just walk through it. Unless, of course, the wall falls down. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you're going to see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute an amount that you choose. You get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. And, of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And if you would like to support us on Patreon, you can become a patron there by clicking on the Become a Patron button. Let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, moving along, we're going to put this under the NAR umbrella, and you'll, I'll explain why, but uh, we're going to be hearing from Jennifer Avaz, so let's do this. Chief, babe, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice. The genes have been sliced. They're pinky, they're pinky, and the brain, 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 brain. Before each night is done, their plan will be unfurled. By the dawning of the sun, they'll take over the world. They're pinky and the brain, yes, pinky and the brain. Their twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overthrow the earth. They're 
pinky. The pinky and the brain, 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 brain. All right, so we're heading over to the YouTube channel of uh, Jennifer Ivaz, and uh, she did a Periscope session recently, put it on YouTube. It's how to break free from the Python spirit. Now, the important thing to note here is that within the NAR, there is a very, very core doctrine that seems to be close to, but not necessarily a universal understanding uh, that is embraced across NAR churches. And that is, is that they have to war against territorial spirits and engage in what is called deliverance and inner healing ministries. If you're not sure what that is, I would recommend going back into the archives of Fighting for the Faith when I was in Australia as part of the PCR conference that we did near Sydney. I did an interview with one of the Outback Bereans, in fact, the Outback Berean, Eric Pedersen, and uh, called it Ghost Stories with Eric. Uh, and as we talked, he was talking about his time in NAR-type churches, and uh, the book The Pigs in the Parlor. Well, Jennifer Ivaz is clearly teaching this concept of, well, I hate to say it, deliverance and inner healing, but as well, she is twisting God's Word and piggybacking on top of it this idea that somehow that uh, they got to do warfare against territorial spirits. Let's listen to uh, Jennifer Ivaz as she explains this for us, and I'll kind of unpack this and kind of show you how biblically you fight this, but uh, let's listen in. Hi, I just want to welcome you to my Periscope as I talk to you today about how to break free from a python spirit. How to break free from a python spirit. Now, I'm going to point something out here. If you are truly a Christian, mm -hmm, if you are truly a Christian, you are a penitent believer in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit already, and your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it is this fact that is held up for us in 1 Corinthians as to part of the reason, or at least one of the major reasons, why Christians do not engage in sexual immorality. It's because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So let me just ask the question, where in Scripture do you see accounts of people who are already baptized, penitent believers in Jesus Christ, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are also demonized. There, there's not a single example of that. God the Holy Spirit doesn't uh, share his temple with demons. So we got a problem here. Is already off the bat, she is assuming that Christians can somehow be demonized by a python spirit. Mm-hmm. And um, on my Facebook Live that I did just a few minutes ago, people are asking me, they're asking me, um, you know, are a python spirit and a, a leviathan spirit the same thing? They're actually different things. However, I've actually encountered in one area where it was a hybrid, where it was both. Um, oh, really? You, would, you encountered a hybrid python leviathan? Yeah. Pliathon spirit. Okay. A whole different story. Well, I'll save that for another time. So yeah, it story is the right word. No scripture teaches this. We're just talking about the Python spirit today, not Leviathan. Python. 
very different, and it's actually in the Bible, and I'm going to talk to you about where that's at and what it does. And now, this is true that the slave girl in the city of Philippi was possessed by a spirit of Puthona, which is associated with the Oracle of Delphi. This, that's actually true, but she's not a Christian. Break free from it because in Jesus we are set free. Okay, Amen. And uh, we have victory in His name. And so, be- all right. So that's the setup here. She goes on to do a little bit of house cleaning, but let me fast forward her video so that we can continue with her teaching regarding how to be set free from a Python spirit. We just uh, brought in um, for the online community only, I do have an inner healing and deliverance minister um, uh, from the Perth area of Australia, from Paradox Church. Who's actually- now, did you catch that? There, yeah, she's working with um, somebody who's into deliverance and inner healing. The basic premise of that is that Christians need to be have demons exercised out of them. This is absolutely a false practice. Again, if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit doesn't share his temple with demons. I'm going to do, um, uh, do at least one uh, online workshop with you. She's a highly trained inner healing and deliverance minister. So, so get ready for that. Uh, again, inner healing and deliverance institute at eventbrite.com, and you can register there. And so now let's uh, go ahead and talk about uh, the Python spirit. And you say, well, where's that at in the Bible? Well, it's in Acts chapter 16. Let me break that down for you. Yeah, now she's absolutely correct. There, there is a spirit of Puthona that is talked about in Acts chapter 16. But it's important for us to pay attention to the details. Um, So uh, let's see here. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. Uh, And uh, in the Greek, it says pneuma puthona. Yeah, and which tells us that this isn't, you know, this girl is somehow wrapped up in the Oracle of Delphi, if you know your ancient Greek and things like that, spirit of divination, uh, Puthona spirit. So what people like Jennifer Ravaz, who are into deliverance and inner healing and all this kind of stuff, which are false practices, Christians cannot be demonized, they see that this, this spirit has a name, which is a vital part, by the way, of them taking control over demons. They have to learn its name. So if you, can, if you know that you're dealing with a spirit of Python, that's, that'll be its name, and apparently you can take control over it. But uh, let me read the rest of the story. So she had a spirit of divination. She brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. Uh-huh. She followed Paul and us, tr- uh, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God. Now, a little bit of a note here. Fortune-telling is an occultic practice. It is a practice forbidden in Scripture, and you can see then here that Scripture reveals that um, there are fortune-tellers who are doing so, and they are empowered by, and their information is coming from the demonic. Yeah, you, that connection is clear here. But keep in mind, this girl is not a Christian. She is not a believer. She is not n- nothing of the sort. She's a slave girl who is a pagan fortune teller. So the demon is freaking out, saying these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. And in the context, that would have been a confusing statement on on the part of her, because the Most High God, and it's stated in the in the context of rank idolatry and polytheism would have been you know, just theologically off. And so she's not actually proclaiming Christ. She's actually show, sowing confusion here, at least the demon is. 
She kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out of her that very hour. And when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragging them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or to practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, I'll let you read the rest of the story, but that's all the information that we get regarding this pagan slave girl who was clearly caught up in, or at least associated with the Oracle of Delphi of the ancient world. And Jennifer Avaz, in the way she's teaching this, teaching it to a, a an audience that self-identifies as Christian, is teaching them that they could be oh they could be demonized by this exact same spirit. Again, Christians have the Holy Spirit. We continue. Explain it to you. Um, what was happening is Paul and his companion, they were on their way to prayer. Now, that's a very key piece of information. They were on their way to prayer. And what met them? They met them a slave girl, um, you know, it was actual woman in slavery. Uh, she had masters, everything, you know, in that area. And uh, they were met by a slave girl. And uh, it says in the Bible that she had a spirit of divination. In other words, she could tell you the future. Now, if you look in the Greek, look in the Greek for, you know, spirit divination in that actual passage, it actually refers to it as a python spirit. That's correct. You could make that case. And I explained the Greek earlier, yes. An actual snake spirit, a python spirit. And if you do a historical study, um, basically that spirit was considered to be the uh, the guardian spirit to the oracle of Delphi, okay, which is uh, very interesting. So it was it was all about telling you the future. It was all about divination, and it was a uh, it was a territorial spirit. And I'll explain to you how. Now, it- no, she she says now she claims it was a territorial spirit. Okay, Acts sixteen doesn't say that. No scripture says that can tell the difference because what happened is she's telling she's shouting a truth that's interesting uh because a lot of times we think that these kind of spirits well it's going to be obvious that you know they're going to lie to us and and it's going to be so obvious that they're demonic no no that's the thing about deception is that you know it deceives you it, it seems truthful or it's truthful enough you know, and so she actually shouted a truth. She said, these, these men are servants of the Most High God. And, you know, and so the Apostle Paul, even though she's shouting a truth, he's not getting flattered with this at all. He's getting irritated. He's getting annoyed because that, that uh, whenever you discern a spirit like that, it rubs wrong against your spirit and you begin to react. It, it, it activates something in you and it begins to irritate the Holy Spirit inside of you. And he got... Mm-hmm. So notice she's uh, acknowledging that Paul was had the holy spirit and that what he was do what this girl was doing was an irritant but she's saying it was an irritant to the holy spirit she's adding to the tax by the way which scripture forbids us to do right and what did he do he finally just just cast that spirit out of her mm. now here's how you know it was a territorial spirit versus one that just you know afflicted a person there is a difference which by the way this territorial spirit thing and doing battle with territorial demons 
big part, major part of the NAR. And the reason we know is because it wasn't just her going into an uproar and who knows what her manifestation was, who knows, but the whole city went into an uproar. No, actually, that's not correct. No, that's you're overstating the case. Let me read it again. So uh, when they had brought them to the magistrates, so they brought Paul and Silas to the magistrates saying, these men are Jews that are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or to practice. So the crowd, yeah, it just says crowd. It doesn't say the whole city. There was a crowd. The crowd joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. It doesn't say the whole city. It just says there was a crowd that had gathered when Paul and Silas were brought before the magistrates. It's because that spirit was connected to the wealth of the city, the wealth of our masters, and actually the wealth of the city. And so it tells you that it had a control over the whole region, Mm. which means it's different. It's a territorial spirit. No, the text doesn't say that, and you're adding to it. Now you're pouring into it your false NAR practice of doing you know, warfare against territorial spirits into a text that doesn't say it. And the city goes into an uproar. Next thing you know... No, just a crowd. Paul and Silas, they're, they're put in jail over, over this. And then we see the earthquake happen in the jail cell. They're singing hymns at midnight. The earthquake happens, and the chains fall off all the prisoners. And that's very, very typical, those kinds of signs and wonders, whatever you're dealing with deliverance in a territory. And I've, I've been in many of those. Whenever you deal with... Mm, she's been in lots of deliverances and territories and stuff. Total distraction, by the way, not what God's Word teaches at all. Like that, you have strange stuff like that happen, um, you know, and there's uproars and there's all sorts of crazy things, uh, but God will deliver you for those of you who are land deliverers and, and regional. Are you a land or regional deliverer? Uh, notice the distraction at this point. There are people who are literally spending their efforts uh, believing that they are land and territorial deliverers. Rather than actually going and proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, they are, they are caught up in this nonsensical, non-biblical practice of slaying territorial spirits and stuff. No joke. Or is that something that the Lord uses me in uh, quite often? And so we have this python spirit. And and here's the thing. How do you know it's a python spirit? Because what concerns me about the present-day prophetic um, is that there's a lot of... It, it, there's there's a lot of um, uh, saying a truth, um, but it doesn't really have the sword of the Lord with it. Now, it doesn't mean a person's mean. It doesn't mean there's... So notice she's saying that now apparently that within prophetic ministry, there are people who are actually operating from a python spirit. Uh, yeah, that, that may be true in some sense or another because they are teaching in the NAR doctrines of demons and i think this would be an example of it moving along i've got ninety thousand pounds in my pajamas i've got forty thousand french francs in my fridge i've got lots of lovely lira now the deutschmark's getting dearer and my dollar bills would buy the brooklyn bridge there is nothing quite as wonderful as money there is nothing quite as beautiful as cash some people say it's folly but i'd rather have the lolly with money you can make a splash Money, money, money. Nothing like a newly minted money. Money, money, money. Everyone must hanker for the butchness of a banker. It's accountancy that waits the world around, round, 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 round. You can keep the artist's way, it's for its own, it's just a place. For it's money, money, money makes the 
All right, so we're heading over to the Believer's Voice of Victory a television show, and we're going to be listening to Kenneth Copeland. And in this installment, we're going to listen to him literally teaching what I would consider a catechesis, you know, kind of a basics of the word of faith heresy. Quite important. Now, I talked about this at the opening of the program that, uh, in a, you know, in a similar way that the reform, that one of their central concepts about God is the sovereignty of God. As we listen to Kenneth Copeland, we're going to note that, uh, I think we can make a very clear argument that the central doctrine of the word of faith heresy is the sovereignty of words, not God, but words. Here's Ken Copeland. Say, well, Brother Copeland, uh, what are you going to talk about? <laughs> Guess. <laughs> His name is Jesus. No, actually, you're not really going to preach about Jesus. We're going to talk about faith. Oh, Brother Copeland, I've heard that. Well, you want to come teach it? No. The Apostle Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but it's God that giveth the increase. Now, if this is the first time that you've ever heard the word of faith taught and preached, then I'm planting. If you've heard it before, I'm watering. But either way, it's God that giveth the increase. Say it. I receive, I receive the, increase the increase in Jesus' name. You, you receive the increase. Uh-huh. I take it. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord Jesus. And co- you know, he just got another 30-something million dollar private jet. Yeah, just a new one. Yeah. Oh, and you know what you have to do if you're going to, you know, if you're going to start talking about faith, you have to go to Mark chapter 11. Now, the reason that we study this from the 11th chapter which is like ground zero for the word of faith heresy is a twisting of Mark 11. Of the book of Mark. Is just simply because the Holy Spirit through Mark, the author... goes into more explicit details about how God's faith works. Whose faith? You notice a possessive genitive there. God's faith. God apparently has faith. He is a faith God. Uh, which text says that in context, please? I'd like to see it. I heard, uh, well, it's been so long ago, I don't remember now whether I per- heard him personally or somebody told me about it, but um, anyway, it was wrong. 
that God doesn't have faith. He is the object of our faith. Uh, That's correct, actually. God is the object of our faith. Where does it say that God has faith the way you're describing it? Well, now, wait a minute. That's interesting, isn't it? Um, Do you have faith? Where'd you get it? I thought he didn't have any. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. Notice what he didn't do there. He didn't go to a biblical text. Mm-hmm. Instead, he basically said, well, where did your faith come from? Well, God gives us faith as a gift. Where'd you get it? Oh, you got it from God. I thought you said he didn't have it. You see, that's, that's a game. That's not a biblical text. You see, yes, it's true that God gives us faith. That does not mean that God himself has his own faith. The question I would have is, if God has faith, in whom does God have faith in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, now you begin to see it. <laughs> that kind of worked with it. that kind of quit in a hurry, didn't it? <laughs> Amen. Now Yeah, thank you, Lord. Hold your place in the book of Mark. Let's look just claim that he was receiving some kind of prompting directly from God. That's why he said, Thank you, Lord. In, in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of fame of faith. In fact, <laughs> I've, had, I've had this question. Why do you teach on it so much? Because you want to prime people into believing this so they'll send you money. I think the answer to that question is quite obvious. Well, in the first place, you can't get saved without it. You can't live the faith life without it, for the just live by faith. You can't walk the Christian walk without it, because we walk by faith and not by sight. You can't fight the Christian fight without it, because we fight the good fight of faith. And you can't overcome the world without it because this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And if that wasn't enough... Faith in whom? In whom for what? Faith in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, reconciliation with God the Father, eternal life in a new heaven, new earth. It's impossible to please Him without it. Well, yeah, that's true. It is impossible to please God without faith. Faith in Him for the things he has promised. Amen. Now stop and think about it a moment though. It's impossible to please anybody without faith. Um, you know, I sure do love you, brother, but I don't believe nothing you say. <laughs> now, now, that just go, try that with your wife sometime. I love you, darling. Just don't believe none you. <laughs> no, no, no. See, that's, I love you is very pleasing, but I won't do what you say is not. So it's impossible. All things are possible with God. Not that. It's impossible for God to lie. And it's just as impossible to please him without faith as it is for him to lie. Did you ever wonder why it's impossible to please him without it? Without it, he can't 
do anything for you. Ah, without faith, God can't do anything for you. Which text says that exactly? Because I seem to recall that Scripture is very clear that God himself sends the rain to bring the crops so that the just and the unjust will all be fed. Yeah, God sends rain, crops grow, unbelievers benefit from God's gracious gift to them of the sun and the rain and the food and the harvest and things like that. Yet, unbelievers don't have faith in him, and yet they are supplied and fed by him. He's not trying to get anything from you. He's trying to get things to you. Text, please. Amen. Amen. What does he do with your tithe? He spends it on your spiritual development. Uh, Christians are not obligated to tithe. Tithing is a Mosaic Covenant thing. He doesn't need the money. He needs you. (laughs) Amen. Yeah, notice he's already trying to prime these people to give him money. Well, it's impossible to please him without. Well, well, listen to this. Romans 4.16. Therefore, it is by faith so that it might be by grace. What is by faith in Romans 4.16? Talking about our salvation. Our salvation is by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's not of works. That's the point of Romans 4. And grace is the big thing. Grace, unmerited favor and so forth. Grace is God's overwhelming desire to treat you and me like sin never happened. Because as far as God is concerned, the sin problem is finished. Jesus bore it, defeated it. Amen. Hallelujah. Hmm. Boy, this guy's slick. He really is. He knows how to work a crowd. Thank you, Lord. So, without faith, there's no connection to the grace. And without the grace... Everything Jesus did is for nothing. Faith is huge. Hebrews chapter... I agree. Faith is vital. It's imperative. Faith is even given to us by God as a gift. That's exactly what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says. But watch where he goes from here. 11. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So... Faith is always now. Faith is always present tense. The past is the past and hope is the future. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things. Now, let's take a look at this from the ESV, not the Amplified. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. You've got to pay attention to your reference. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. Now pay attention to this next part. By faith, we understand that the universe was created 
by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. In other words, you know, how do you know that the world was created in six days and that God spoke it into existence? How do you know this? Answer, Scripture says so. We believe it by faith because we weren't there to see the creation happen, so we trust God that his report of our coming into existence and the creation of the heavens and the earth and all of the animals and the food and the trees and the grass and all of that, that happened as Genesis lays it out. How do we know this? Well, we understand this by faith. We trust that God is that what he said is absolutely true. Watch how the twist occurs here. Copeland is really slick. Listen in. Natural material things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. They weren't, they didn't, they didn't say they were made of nothing. It said they were made out of something you can't see. So faith is the creative force that brought all of this into existence. No, it isn't. Faith is not the creative force that brought all of this into existence. God is the one who brought all of this into existence. And Hebrews 11 says that the universe was created by the word of God. God is the one who created the heavens and the earth. And if you're, not, if you're uncertain about this, then I would recommend just reading the opening portion of Genesis chapter 1. Bereshit bara Elohim, eth hashamayim va'eth ha'eretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very first sentence of Scripture says, God created the heavens and the earth. God is the creative, quote-unquote, force, which is a terrible way to describe him, by the way, behind the creation itself. He is the one who created. Notice, what Kenneth Copeland has done here is made it so that faith is what created the heavens and the earth, not God. Now, this will have to be installment number one. We're going to break this up into several parts with uh, this Kenneth Copeland teaching on the word of faith. And him teaching it makes it so that you can clearly understand exactly what the so-called word of faith heresy teaches. Who better to teach it than Kenneth Copeland? But we're, we'll save more of this for you know, probably Wednesday's episode of Fighting for the Faith. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be hearing from Tabner Smith and um, at Venue Church on how to have your best year ever. Yeah, Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Your words have no power to create reality. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. 
This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. It's been a while since we've reviewed a Tabner Smith sermon let's do this right though Get the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Venue Church. Tabner Smith, the vision casting leader, presiding. The name of the message is titled "The Recipe for Your for Your Best Year Yet." And see, I got to tell you this: if you are attending a church and you are hearing sermon titles like this, you know you're being deceived. Straight up. There are no principles that you can apply to your life that would guarantee that 2018 or 2019 or even 2020 will be your best year yet. Now, it may turn out that way. Maybe God will be gracious to you and permit that to happen. But there's nothing you can do to ensure that's the case. And so already we can see that what Tabner is doing here is scratching itching ears and teaching things he's not authorized to teach, which means he's going to twist God's word. Now, oddly enough, he's going to twist the nativity narrative in a similar way that we heard Ben Fitzgerald twisting it from uh, Bethel Church. 
So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here's Tavner Smith and his sermon titled, The Recipe for Your Best Year Yet. Here we go. Word for you today that I'm going to get started. So I want you to go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Maybe you have a Bible like this. Maybe your Bible looks more like this these days. That's okay. Maybe you're like, Pastor, I don't even have a Bible. We're going to throw it up on the screen for you, and you can read the verses with me there. Uh, you're going to read, uh, wait until you put their verse up on the screen. You're going to put Luke 145 up, but I'm going to read a few verses before 145. I'm going to read Luke 139, and then we'll get to that. But I wanted you to hear it before I read verse 45. Listen to this. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. And she entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. And at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, here, listen to me. Here's where we're at. Mary has been told that you've got the Son of God in you, and he's about to be born. His name's going to be Jesus. She's blown away. Her husband is thinking, yeah, right, you've been cheating on me. He's had a dream from an angel that says everything's okay. Mary just needs to get away, and she goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, who just so happens to have a baby on the inside of her by the name that you'll know him as John the Baptist, okay? Jesus' cousin. And so they're hanging out together and they end up talking. And that's where we are. Verse 42, Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, listen to this. God has blessed you above all women. That's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty big thing to say. Like every woman that's ever been born, that ever will be born, that, that exists right now, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Now here's verse 45. Throw it up on the screen. Listen, you are blessed because you believe the Lord would do what he said. Now, real quick here. The gospel of Luke. Who is it about? Answer, Jesus. It tells us the story of his conception, his birth, a small, tiny bit about his childhood, and then his baptism by John the Baptist, his preaching, teaching ministry, the miracles that he performed, the parables that he told, the conflicts he found himself in, and ultimately his death at the hands of the Jews using the instrument of Pontius Pilate his burial, and his being raised from the grave on the third day, uh -huh. and then him commissioning the church to make disciples, to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations, starting in Jerusalem. It's all about Jesus. Tavner seems to have missed the memo. And so here we have the story of the fact that Mary believed what was told to her by the Lord through the angel Gabriel. And this is going to again get twisted to, you know, well, are you believing what the Lord has told you, what he's going to do for you and stuff? Yeah, I wish I was making that up, but that's where Tavner's heading. Isn't that amazing? I've read, I've, I've read that scripture so many times, and it's just blown my mind because she's looking at Mary and she's saying this, you are blessed 
beyond all women. And I'm like, of course she's going to say that. She's saying that because she's got Jesus on the, like, on the inside of her womb. She's carrying the baby Jesus. So, of course, that's why she's saying she's blessed. But the more that I read it, I realized something. She was not saying you were blessed because you have Jesus on the inside of you. Listen to what she said. Come on, let me read verse 45 again. Do not miss this. Throw it on the screen. Let's read it. You are blessed... Because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. You're not blessed because you got Jesus in you. You're blessed because you had the ability, no matter what people said. No. Well, actually, to believe what the Lord said is to have faith. By the way, the Greek word for belief and the Greek word for faith, yeah, they come off the same root. Pistis and pistuo, yeah. No matter what you saw, no matter if you had ever been through it before, you had the ability to ignore all of that and believe that God would do what he said. That's why you're blessed. Because you were able to believe. And I've been thinking about that because, uh, do you remember when we could believe? Do y'all remember being a kid and, and you could believe for anything? Do you remember that? You, you, do you remember when you were a, a kid and, and, and you believed you could be anything you wanted? Man, I believed that I could be a pro basketball player. Now think about that. I'm five foot ten. You'd probably be a better pro basketball player than a pastor. Yeah, I'm just saying. And, I, and I'm pretty good, but I'm not that good. But for some reason in me, I thought in my driveway, doing all my little moves, acting like the buzzer was going down. Three, two, one. He spins. It's Smith for the shot. Oh, he wins the game. And everybody's cheering. And I could be a pro basketball player. And I had no doubt in my mind that I could make it. We all had something like that. Like when you were eight and somebody said, what are you going to be when you grew up? You didn't be like, well, I'm going to sit in a cubicle and type in some data entry. Which, by the way, being gainfully employed and obeying your boss and doing a good job at knowing that you're doing it for the Lord, not your boss, is a good work. Ephesians chapter 5, as well as Colossians it, you make that extremely clear. Not that that's bad, but that's not how we thought because we believed in anything, right? You're eight and somebody's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you're like, I'm going to be a fireman or an astronaut or a princess or I'm going to rule the world. Like, and it was kind of cute, but I think the cutest thing about it was this is that we actually believed it. You couldn't tell us any different. You know, and, 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 and something happened and, and actually I was reading this study that said, um, that by the time you're five years old, that you get told no tens of thousands of times. And I think what happens is disappointment and the repetitive nature of hearing no all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time conditions us at some point in our life to start unbelieving what we used to believe. To, to start, well, let me just say it this way. I, it, it makes us start being more realistic. Is that a bad thing? By the way, um, if I wanted to be a 
basketball player, mm -hmm. I have no talent or ability or whatever. I could believe for all I want to be a basketball player, but I guarantee you trying out for basketball teams would have resulted in no's that would have given me a more realistic outlook as to where I should apply myself. How unfortunate that we have begun to live realistic lives. You really think that's the gist of the nativity narrative? The story of the conception of Christ and how Mary was blessed because she believed what God told her through the angel Gabriel? That that's, that's telling us we need to learn how to live less realistic lives? Wow. And this is the word that I have for you today. Uh, I just felt like I was supposed to declare this to you as I was praying. I really now notice he said, "I felt like I was supposed to declare this to you." That claim, that claim is that what he's about to say is because God told him to. No, God didn't. God did not tell him to say what he's about to say. Like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said to tell everybody this today, that 2018 is the year to start believing again. No, it's not. The Holy Spirit did not tell you that. You are lying to these people and you're either self-deceived or you're willfully deceiving. 2018 is the year to start believing again. So can I announce the title of my message today? Because I'm really excited about it. Are y'all ready for this? Come on. Are y'all ready to start 2018 off with a bang? Come on. Are you ready, Venue Church? So listen to this. Here's the title of the message today. The recipe for your best year yet. The recipe for your best year yet. This is a poisonous stew that he's brewed up. You don't want to be eating this recipe. Trust me. Oh, it's not hype. No, I really believe it's going to be your best year yet, but do you know? No, there's plenty of people in there that that will not pan out or be the case because God, the Holy Spirit has not told you to tell them this. But that's not up to me. It's up to you. Oh, I see. So if you don't have the best year yet, that's your fault, not his. He, he told you what God wanted to do and you didn't clearly do what you needed to do to make that happen. Wow. I'm going to give you the recipe. It's up to you if you stir that sucker up and put it in the oven. I'm going to give you the recipe. It's up to you if you carry it out here of here today and start applying these things to your life. And so let me jump into it and get to it because I want to I want to get there and get you out of here on time so we can switch and get the next people in here and, and we can get everybody believing. But number one is this two ingredients that I want to talk to you about today. Really simple, really easy, really straightforward, but we got to get it. Number one is this, the first ingredient. Number one, you have to always remember who your God is. So step one to having the best year of your life. Number one, remember who your God is. Where in Scripture are these steps laid out? That, you know, thus saith the Lord, Here are the, here's the recipe for having the best year of your life year after year after year. Step one, always remember who your God is. I'd like to know where this step came from, because it sounds like you made these steps up. You have to always remember who your God is. You have to always remember who your God is. I think that we have a diminished view of who our God is based on our realistic mindsets nowadays. 
I think that we think that- so a realistic mindset is going to get is going to cause you to forget who your God is. Oh, brother. God is this cool guy that we're going to see one day. He's the man upstairs, but he's like, I think we have this picture of him. as kind of off in the distance in this faraway galaxy, just doing all of his godlike, king-like things, not really caring about us as we just meander through life and we end up dying one day and then boom, we're going to meet this guy that was kind of out there. I know we can't see him. Like in human flesh, we're not the one of the disciples. We didn't get to walk the earth with him. And we hear about people talk about him all the time. But even when we hear about the stories that he does in other people's lives, sometimes we don't feel like he shows up the same way in our life. And we can't like put our hands on him and physically feel him in the flesh. And so sometimes I think that we walk around not really understanding. What, what text are you preaching from, Tavner? I, I don't see an open Bible there. Our God really is. I, I really got to thinking about this on the way back from Israel because, you know, on the way back, the flight's a little longer than on the way there uh, because I learned because of how the earth spins and then the winds are coming against you. And, and so it's about a 12 hour flight on the way back. And, and we're sitting there and I, I fly all the time and I've been to Israel five times in the last two and a half, almost three years. And so I do this flight a lot and, and all the time it's really just uneventful. I mean, 99% of the time, all of my flights anywhere are really uneventful. You take off, you cruise, you land, you get there, it's whatever. But we had a really adventurous flight because they decided that they were going to fly us in to a snow hurricane. Okay. And so it's a good, smooth flight all the way across the ocean. A snow hurricane? Okay. When we hit up around the top, up near Maine, Canada, coming on down to New York to land, man, that plane just started bumping. And, and I listen, I've been on a couple of really rough flights. One where I was just telling the Lord, I'll see you in a minute because I thought we were going down. Like it was scary. But this was I would I would say this was the second worst flight I've ever been on. I mean, we hit some turbulence and you'd be bumping and then all of a sudden whoo, the plane would just drop. And it was like, whoo. And like, I mean, drinks were flying everywhere. Grayson was, Pastor Grayson was in the back. Somebody's coffee flew up on him. Somebody, he got hit by three people's drink all at once up in the air coming down. The lady over here was screaming, oh, I can't do this. I mean, just that loud. People were yelling. It was crazy for about 30 minutes like that. Okay. The whole time, I had two things in my mind. Number one, we had a bunch of staff with us that had never flown before. And so I thought, I'm going to get up and walk to the bathroom during this so they think, oh, it must be okay if pastor's up walking around. Okay? So here I am going to the bathroom and and the thing's like, whoom, dropping and I'm just smiling. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's okay. It's going to be okay. And the flight attendants didn't tell you to take your seat. Yeah, that's usually when the fasten seatbelt sign is on. Just, just saying. Stewardess is like, son, sir, sit down or whatever. Uh-huh, right. Yeah. I go sit down and this lady's screaming over here. Drinks are going up. Everything's going everywhere. And I look over and this trip, uh, I'm trying to take all of my kids to Israel. So last time we took Avery, this time we took our middle daughter, Emery. And I mean, we're in rough air dropping all this. And I look over and Emery's like this. smiling her little face off 
had her earplugs in, watching a movie, looking at me, just smiling. People are screaming. She had no idea that we were in some crazy air. And I got to thinking about that. And it just hit me. Lord, let me begin to trust you like she trusts me. In the middle of that air. People screaming, people going crazy. Notice, no biblical text yet. Bible hasn't been opened. It's sitting unopened on his plexiglass podium there. For their lives, dropping hundreds of feet, bumping everywhere. And she's got a smile on her face because she's like, I'm sitting by my daddy and there's no way he would let anything happen to me. She didn't even care. Matter of fact, later on, she was like, that was kind of like a roller coaster. (laughs) She enjoyed it. Not because it was safe, but because she trusted me. Listen, because she knows who I am. And it just hit me that we could experience the same kind of joy, the same kind of peace, the same kind of life in 2018 if we could come to the realization of who our God really is. First of all, and I'm going to throw these up. This is little number A if you're taking notes. But first of all, we have to realize his position. His position. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have to realize his position. This is all part of the important part of the recipe for how to have your best year now thing. Okay. See, in, in Exodus chapter 3, and I'm not going to share the verses with you. I had it on there, but I'll just for sake of time catch you up. Moses. Yeah, so he's not really going to read out a biblical text. No, he's just going to kind of make reference to it. Is running from God. Y'all need to hear this for those of you who don't think you can be used by God. Moses is uh, 40 years old and kills somebody and then lives on the run for 40 years. And at 80 years old, God said, I'm not done with you. I can still use you. He goes out into the desert. He's hiding from everybody. And he's walking around with all of his sheep that he's herding because he's a shepherd. And he walks up on this bush and the bush is on fire, but the bush is not going away. Like It's not like it's on fire and burning to a crisp. It's just flames on it, but it's not consuming it. And he walks up and all of a sudden he's trying to look at it and the bush starts talking to him. I mean, this is crazy stuff. The bush starts talking to him and and, and Moses starts talking to the bush and he's like, this is weird. You're talking to me, but who are you? What he didn't know is this was the presence of God in this bush trying to get his attention to say, I still want to use you. He, listen, This is God wanting to introduce himself to Moses so he can know that the rest of your life has purpose. And so he goes up and he's talking to this bush. Isn't this crazy? Y'all got so that I can know the rest of my life has purpose. What? No, that's not the purpose of Exodus three. Read your Bible. There's some really cool stories in here. Like Moses is talking to the bush and he says to the bush, who are you? And the bush says this, I am. 
And y'all have heard me talk about this. I've talked about this a lot, but I think repetition is what helps us get from our head down into our heart and help us really get who we're, who we're dealing with when we have our God in our life. He, he has one opportunity to make a first impression on Moses and he could have introduced himself anyway, but he wanted to introduce himself so he would understand the position he was going to hold in his life. So who are you? I am. Because when we say, who do we serve? We say God. And in the English language, God is God. We don't even respect that name very much. Because when you hit your toe, you say, oh my God. Like we don't even hold much respect to the name God. But, but in, in these times, like the respect for that name was really high and, and there were way more than one meaning for the name God. It wasn't just like, who do you serve? I serve God. No, it was, who do you serve? I serve God. I serve a God who has many names and many attributes. And let me tell you some of them because wrapped up in the three letters G-O-D is, is more than you could understand if you could understand the original language in which it was written in. It, it was more than God. He was also known, and I'm going to throw these up. So you- yeah, I don't think you actually can read the original languages. I have no confidence that's the case. See, I'm number one. Jehovah Jireh was part of his name. Do you know what that means? It means the Lord who provides. His name was Jehovah Shalom. It means the Lord, our peace. His name was Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. His name was Jehovah Rohi, is how you say it, the Lord, our shepherd. His name, listen to this, Jehovah Sitkanu. The Lord, our righteousness. His name was Jehovah Shema. The Lord is there. I can keep going. El Elyon, which is the Lord most high. I mean, I can keep going with name after name after name because it wasn't just like, who are you? I'm God. No, who are you? I am. You are who? I- Notice he's not actually really preaching the text at all. And although it's fascinating to consider the different names that God uses for himself, and there is theology attached to it, it sounds to me like Tavner has been influenced by the charismatic and word of faith movements. I am everything that you're going to need me to be as you go on this journey that I'm about to call you on. So, I'm- By the way, God is everything that you need, but this idea that he's going to call you on a journey of your purpose or destiny, false doctrine, false teaching. God has not created us for a purpose. He's created us in Christ Jesus for good works. Not just a three-letter word. I am the Lord who provides. I am the Lord who heals. I am the Lord who's going to bring you peace. I am the Lord who is there. I am the Lord, your shepherd, who is leading you. I am the Lord most high because you're going to need me to be all of those things as you do what I'm calling you to do. No, no, no. Notice the purpose-driven dream destiny thingy doctrine is at the core of this, and that's why it's off. You're going to show up, and you're going to tell Pharaoh, let my people go, and he's not going to listen to you, and you're going to need me to do some things for you to show him how big I am. But right when you need me, you'll find out that I am Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides everything you need for that moment of your life. 
It's going to get stressful. The people are going to turn against you. You're going to wander for 40 years in the desert, but you'll find out that I am Jehovah Shalom, the God who will bring you peace in any of those moments. You're going to realize people are going to get bit by snakes. People are going to get sick in the wilderness. People are going to bring all of the stuff that's going to happen, but you'll you'll need to know I'm Jehovah Rapha. I am the God who heals every situation that you're going to be in. Listen, you're going to be going from, from here to there, but in your journey, you can know I'm Jehovah Shema, the God who is not just here. I'm the God who is also there. So when you get there, I will already be there waiting on you. That people are going to speak things over you. You're going to deal with things in your mind. You're going to go through things. But realize this. I am El Elyon, most high. I am the God who... Yeah, he's just totally changed the entire narrative of Exodus 3. None of this is in there. He's added to the word of God, which God's word explicitly forbids... All the other names bow to my name. And so whatever you're going through, you need to know my position in your life. You want, you want to have the best year? You want to believe again? You got to realize that you don't just serve some invisible God 300 million miles away, chilling on his throne in this random heaven floating around somewhere. You serve a God who is present in your life. Matter of fact, he's omnipresent, which means that he's at all places at all times, which for some of you who think you've been running from him. Ha- now, it's true that God is omnipresent. That's absolutely true. But Tavner here is taking that doctrine and built it on a foundation that he's already laid that is a false doctrine. Can you run from somebody that's everywhere? Because if you run from here over to there, he's already there waiting on you. You think you're running, you're getting drunk, you're smoking weed, you're getting high, you're taking stuff, you're on your, you're on your own little journey, and you think you've been running from you. And the whole time you light up, he's like, I'm still here, I'm still here, I'm still here. Not because he's judging you and wanting to get you, because he just wants you to know you can't go too far from me. You got to know who he is. You got to know the God you serve. If you're going to be able to believe again, you got to understand his position. But the second thing, you got to understand his character. Do you know why Emery was comfortable on that flight with me? Do you know why she had no reason in her mind to fear? Because she knows her. Now, my question again, uh, where in scripture does it lay out that step two of having the best year ever is to recognize and understand God's character. Where does it say that in Scripture, that that step two is part of the recipe for having a best year ever? Would never put her in any position that he thought was dangerous to her. She understands my character. She understands that my whole purpose in her life is to be a protector and to be a provider. So we're deriving doctrine from anecdotal life experiences. Nope, not supposed to do that. Doesn't worry about anywhere I take her because she knows that I've considered everything that needs to be considered before I put her anywhere I take her. She understands my character. Well, there's no reason for me to be worried because dad wouldn't put me in any place that I needed to worry. So I'm good. It's well, let me just give you some Bible verses. It's Genesis fifty twenty. That what the enemy means for evil, God will work for your good. It's Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together for good 
to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Yeah, to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You might want to flesh that out a little bit. What does that mean? Yeah, because it's not just some blanket statement that God's going to make everything work hunky-dunky for everybody. And you have not even come close to being able to define what it means to love God or even to be called according to his purposes. It doesn't mean nothing scary will never happen. It doesn't mean you won't go through some turbulence and some bumps and some dropping. It doesn't mean that you won't be in some dramatic situations with people screaming, I can't handle this. It doesn't mean that you won't be here and there and everywhere. But here's what it means. It means that your God will never take you into anything that he didn't intend that to build you, make you better, and bring you out on the other side greater than you were when you entered on the one side. It's Shadrach. It's Meshach. It's Abednego. You know that story in the Bible? They wouldn't bow down. And King Nebuchadnezzar said, throw them in the fiery furnace. They cranked it up so hot that it killed the people that were throwing them in. It was so hot. But he looked in and they were walking around in the fire. But he said, didn't we throw in three men? Because I count four in the fire right now. And when they walked out of the fire, not one bit of their clothes was singed and they didn't even smell like smoke. It wasn't that God said, I'll never take you in the fire. It's that he said, you can trust my character that even if I get you thrown in the furnace, I'll be in there walking around with you the entire time. Yeah, see, God doesn't promise that exactly. Again, um, many Christians have been martyred for their faith. And I would throw into the mix the, the last part of Hebrews 11 because I think that that actually helps us out a lot. And uh, you're going to note that Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith passage, verse 32 is where we'll start. It talks about all these patriarchs and you know from the Old Testament and how they did the things they did by faith. What more shall I say? For time would fail me uh, to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. And then the text turns, listen to this, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Yeah, they did. They, they were sawn in two and laid down their lives by faith. Yeah, Tavner's, um, let's just say, not playing with a full deck here. Come out on the other side, and not only will you not smell like smoke, but people's lives will be changed because they watched your journey. Yeah, God doesn't promise that. Trust my character. You got to know his position, you got to know his character, but listen to this number three, you got to understand his vantage point. You got to understand his vantage point. Right, because we 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 have a hard time believing because we're always looking. And I got to ask the question: Where in Scripture does it say the third ingredient in the recipe for having your best year ever is to consider God's vantage point? Which text says this is the the you know part of the recipe number three? 
looking at our life through our vantage point. Right, because it don't make sense. Uh, This just doesn't make sense to me. If I were God, I wouldn't do it that way. Well, praise God, I'm not God and you're not God. Because we would really screw things up, wouldn't we? But it's because we don't have his vantage point. Do you know what his vantage point is? Oh, man, this is really cool. Uh, it's, it, so in Israel this week, we got to walk to the place that they really believe was the place of the skull, Golgotha, the place where he was crucified, taken off the cross, carried, put in the tomb, buried. He rose the third day. He's alive right now. We celebrate that. That's what Easter is all about. We should, every day should be Easter in our life. We should celebrate it every single day. But, but, but here's, here's the, what, what I want you to see is he was, as he was sitting there on that cross and he was going through all this torture, at the end of it, he said these three words. It is finished. Three of the most important words in the entire scripture. We blow stuff like that off because we just come to church once a week, don't really read our Bible that much, and depend on all the preachers to give you all the good stuff. And and I understand. I've been there. But but as I've studied and I've learned... When- <laughs> you're not giving us anything of the good stuff. You're not even preaching the word. And yet you're chastising them for not knowing their Bibles. <laughs> if they knew their Bibles, the last place they'd be going to church is venue church. Read back in this original text, and when you start studying everything that kind of brings this into context, you would understand that he was being who he always was. Jesus was the most relevant teacher that ever walked to the face of the earth. He didn't just say things to say things. And so when he said, it is finished, he was using a military term that the Roman soldiers around him who were crucifying him would have understood. Matter of fact, it was a term that they used back when they fought wars and they would go out with swords and clubs and they would, they would have these battles on the battlefield and one side would obviously win and everybody, the other side would retreat and, and they would go back to their side and they would stand in formation until the general of the army showed up. It could be hours, it could be days. And the general of the army would show up and he had an armor bearer that would help him carry his things and he would come and he would stand in front of the people and then he would turn around and he would take his own sword and he would walk through the battlefield, listen to this, and every single fallen person that was in the enemy army, he would take his personal sword and he would put it through the heart of every single enemy that was laying on the battlefield. And then he would walk back to the army, he would line up in front of them, and he would raise his bloody sword in the air, and in their language he would say these three, these words, it is finished. And here's what he was saying. He was saying, as the general of the army, I have followed up with your battle. And I have personally walked the battlefield myself and I have stuck my own sword into the heart of every enemy laying on the field. And I can now come and tell you, go celebrate, go sleep, go enjoy because you have nothing to worry about because I made sure not one of those enemies is ever getting up to come and get you again. So now I can confidently say it is finished. Yeah, that's what we call eisegesis. Mm-hmm. Why would the Roman soldier's understanding of it is finished to tell us die 
be the theology that Jesus was trying to convey when he said it is finished. Hmm? And you're going to note, I, you know, I've been in the church for a long time, practically my whole life. And I've never heard this uh, spin on Tetelestai until today. Never heard it until today. Nope. Why should I believe that this, you know, this the way the Roman soldiers understood it is the way we're supposed to understand it? That's my question, having never heard it. That would require me to know all of the history of Roman soldiering and, and their training and how that all worked. And yet that's not found in Scripture. And yet Scripture is sufficient. And when we see from Jesus' vantage point, what we understand is this, is that the battle he was showing up to was called our life. And it hadn't been fought yet because he was looking into the future, knowing everything that we would go through. But catch this. Don't miss this. Are you ready? As he looked into the future, he spoke in past tense. I'm telling you, if this stage wasn't 42 inches off the ground, I would jump down and I would run three laps around this room right now. Do you know how important it is to understand this? That even though he looked into the future of your life, when he said, he didn't say, it will be finished. He said, it is finished. Which means this. Even though it seems like the biggest deal to you because you are currently going through it. His vantage point was that when he defeated it forever, he spoke about it in the past. Which means he's not showing up to finish it. It means he finished it before you were ever born. Which means... Yeah, what exactly did he finish again? I kind of lost that in all of the milieu and minutia of what you're throwing at us. You can believe and have confidence because he's not looking at your life through the eyes of what he will do. He's looking at your life through the eyes of what he's already done, which means when he calls you to something and asks you to start, he never starts before he finished. <laughs> Could you diagram that for me? I have no idea what you're talking about. It's like you're making stuff up. Uh-huh, and you're not actually exegeting any biblical text, nor are you really telling me what the real biblical significance of Christ's death on the cross and what he accomplished for us is. I this actually sounds like a different gospel to me. am preaching. N no, you ain't. Not, not the truth. I'm preaching. I'm preaching. We got to have his vantage point. See, when we know his position, when we know his character, and when we know his vantage point, man, we can believe for anything. Am I helping anybody? North Georgia, am I helping anybody down there? We have to understand who our God is. That's ingredient number one. Stir it up a little. But there's one more ingredient that goes into you living your best year yet. Are you ready for this? You got to always remember who you are. Hold on now. I didn't say you got to always remember who people said you were. Yeah. yeah. Again, where is this listed as the next step in the recipe for us 
having the best year ever? Hold on. I didn't say you got to always remember who you think you are. I said you have to always remember who you are. Yeah, I get which text says that this is the next step so I can have a great 2018. I, I need to know where that passage is. Who you are. But let me let me read you. Let me read the scripture. I love the scripture. Throw it up on the screen and let's just read it together. Listen to this. At the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. At the, mount, at the foot of a mountain called the Mount of Olives. I stood on it this week. It's the mountain where Jesus ascended from. It's the mountain he's coming back when he comes back to get us. And we stood there and as you're standing there, like you're looking over the old city of Jerusalem. There's all these tombs on the Mount of Olives where prophets are buried and people are buried. You can see them right there. And they're at the foot of that and around the Kidron Valley, kind of where the Garden of Gethsemane is, where he went and prayed that day, kind of right there. And he's talking to some people at the foot of that mountain. A large cloud was waiting and a man came and knelt before Jesus. And he said this, listen, he says, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. Listen, he often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him, listen, you God, don't miss this. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. And listen what Jesus says. You faithless and corrupt people. How long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon and the boy and it left him. From that moment, the boy was well. Afterwards, the disciples asked Jesus privately. They said, why couldn't we cast out that demon? He said, you don't have enough faith. That's what Jesus told him. And he said, I tell you the truth. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it would move. Listen to this. Nothing would be impossible. Now that sounds all good and we want to amen that. Yeah, faith in whom? Jesus. But it's weird when you don't know the context of what he was saying. Because you've never walked up to Lookout Mountain and been like, I don't want to drive up you today. Get out of my way. I'm going right through you. Maybe you have and it didn't move and now you doubt the Lord because he said that you could do it and it didn't happen. Yeah, Lookout Mountain. Chattanooga, I think. But I'm trying to teach you this about Jesus is every word in the Bible is he never like blabbers. He never like randomly says stuff. Most of the time when he's talking, he's pointing at stuff in context. And so I brought a picture to show you. I wanted to show you this picture. So what you're looking at is if, you, if, I, if we were standing right, if, if I'm standing on Mount, Olive, Mount of Olives and I'm looking at Jerusalem. and I Hugh Sappy Music. This is an emotional manipulation technique. Designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now going to descend on the people there at Venue Church as they decide to apply these uh, pieces of a recipe to cook up a great 2018. Best ever, you know. Look to my left. About 10 miles away, you can see these two mountains. The mountain on the right is called Mount Herodian. <clears throat> it's a mountain that now has an ancient site that you can go tour where it was where King Herod 
built a, 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 a fortress up there. It's called Mount Herodian because of that. On one side, when people would come, it looked like a normal mountain. But when you went around the back of it, there was a complete fortress built on the inside of the mountain. Now, I want you to notice something. Do you notice the, the, the one to the left of it looks like it's got a flat top? Do you know what I'm talking about? Boom, it's been cut off because it has. And this is what was happening when Jesus was talking about this. Let me tell you, these two mountains used to stand at equal height. And for two reasons, King Herod said that I like this mountain, but I'm not going to build my fortress there until you move some of this mountain on top of it. Number one, it's in my way from seeing if people were coming to attack us. And number two, I'm not going to build my fortress on a mountain of equal size to me. If I'm going to build my fortress, it's going to be on a higher mountain because I am the king and I'm higher than everything around here. And so he had his people cut off the top of that mountain and move it to the other one. And now it stands higher and his fortress is built right there. Listen to me. This was happening when Jesus was standing there. Literally at that time, the people were moving that mountain to make that one higher to build King Herod's fortress as Mount Herodian. And so as he was looking at his disciples saying, you have no faith. Don't you know that you have what it takes to tell a mountain to move and it'll move? He wasn't saying you can walk up to random mountains and just say, get out of my way and they'll get out of your way. Here's what he was saying. He was saying, look at King Herod. He's wicked. He's evil. He doesn't know God and he wants nothing righteous for anybody. And yet he understands. It's so weird. He's like the only guy who has these interpretations. He keeps adding to the text. It's weird. That he has the authority to tell people around him to go and move a mountain and it'll be moved. Now, why can't you have the faith to understand that I'm about to ascend? And when I ascend, I am going to leave you the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's that raises me from the dead. I'm going to give for you. And just like Herod understands he has the authority to speak and things happen. Guess what? You will now have the authority on the inside of you. That if you believe in who you are, you can speak. And- Whoa, did you catch that? If you believe in who you are. Yeah, that's a misplaced faith. You as the object of your own faith, faith in yourself. Not faith in Christ, and that's the crux of the problem here. Tavner is a false teacher with false gospel and false theology. He adds to the word of God, points people away from Christ, points them to themselves. If you believe in who you are. Things will shift in the atmosphere. If he can say move a mountain and all these wicked people can move it, how much more can you speak and I send angels to move things for you? How much can I speak and your words are so powerful that they can move things in your life? Your words are so powerful, not Christ. Your words. Notice Tavner teaches the word of faith heresy, the sovereignty of words. See, the problem is, is that we've grown up under the bounds of religion. And yet what he's spewing is a religion, and a false one at that. Told you that you're a 
poor old sinner saved by grace. Yeah, the devil told you that. You're a sinner saved by grace. That's what scripture teaches. Weird. That you're worthless and good for nothing, but then Jesus came. Apparently that's the devil doing that. And I believe that we were sinners. And I believe he's not one anymore. He were he were one, but he ain't one now. We are saved by grace. And I believe that we did live for ourselves and our lives didn't have much worth without him. But first John chapter one says, If we say we have no sins, written to Christians, we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I tell you something? When you get saved, you are now a new creation. The old things have passed away and all things have become new. So you don't have to walk around and say, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. You can say this, man, I used to be messed up, but now guess what I am? I am a child of the most high God. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is my father. He is the God who provides. He is the God who heals. He is the God. So weird because the apostle Paul, as he was finishing his course, said that he was the chief of sinners. Yep. Brings peace. He's the God who is there. He's the God who will lead me and is my shepherd. And he has given me full access to him. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. And so maybe I mess up and maybe I fail and maybe I don't have it all. He doesn't sin anymore. He messes up and fails, but he doesn't sin anymore. And maybe I fall seven times and I get back up. But every time I get up, guess what? I can speak and move mountains because I am a child of God. Faith in yourself. Yep. That's what that is. Wicked indeed. A child of God. You have the power in you. You have the power. It's all it's all about you, man. You have the power. Not Christ, you. Yeah, pastor, but I speak to things and it don't happen. It's because you need to mature in your language. Yeah, you got to mature. That's the reason why you're speaking at things and it's not happening yet. You're still a baby, a, a baby deity. The Lord loves you enough to know that he can't give you full power in your words until you've learned to control your words. What? Which text says that? You're just making stuff up now. Because once he gives you full power in your words, it doesn't just work for everything good you speak and not work for everything bad you speak. It works for everything you speak. Text, please. I'd like to see that, please. For those of you who don't have the ability to not chew your wife out every three days, he knows that if he gave you full authority over your words, not only would your fever leave your kid when you spoke it away, he knows that everything you just spoke of your wife would begin to take place in her life, too. Yeah, where, where does the Bible say that? He knows it would be like giving a five-year-old a loaded gun. In their immaturity, they may not mean any harm, but as long as they pull the trigger, they hurt somebody. He can't put, he can't put bullets in the chamber unless you have the maturity to know when to use it or when not to use it. Yeah, it says no text anywhere. You're just making stuff up. You have been the whole sermon. Are you with me? No. But if you can begin to mature in that area, can I tell you something, man? The whole world begins to open up. Once you understand who you are. Yeah, you got to understand who you are. I'm not just some 
random person that's just kind of figuring this thing out. Like, I'm a child of God. And my daddy, I know his position. I know his character. I know his vantage point, And I know who I am. All right. I can believe. I can believe again. Come on, at both locations, could you just stand up on your feet? I'm going to pray and I'm going to dismiss you. But, but before I prayed over you, here's what I felt like we were supposed to do. What we were supposed to do. I felt like we were supposed to declare over our lives that 2018 is going to be the year that we can begin to believe again. Yeah, God told him to have them declare that. No, he didn't. No, he didn't at all. Tabner Smith is deceived in teaching doctrines of demons. Straight up. Wow. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.